When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Countless worlds upon worlds, worlds without end. In these galaxies, every possible reality exists. And what is reality in any new world is mere fantasy in all others. Here, all is real and all is illusion. What is, what was, and what will be start with this once maligned 80s flick. So travel with us to Cleveland as we jam out to Cherry Bomb's greatest hits, but be on the lookout for the Duck Overlord as Laramie Wells and I discuss Howard the Duck from 1986 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. He's like many of us, mired in the routine of upward mobility, but all that is about to change with an unexpected trip to a place called Cleveland. A romance with a girl named Beverly. He's my an adventure beyond the imagination of the average duck. The duck's a lunatic! George Lucas presents Howard the Duck, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production, rated PG. Now at select theaters, check newspapers. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you. Happy New Year. It is 2023, our first episode of the new year. And what a way to kick off the year with a two-parter episode about Howard the Duck with my good friend Laramie Wells from Moving Panels Podcast. How you doing, Laramie? I'm good. I'm wonderful. Yes. Happy New Year. Nothing like starting off the new year with what is considered one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> hey, that's what we do. It's 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 you know, it's what defines us. Um but if you did not check out the first part of this two-parter of uh, the moving panels discussion about Howard the Duck, more from the comics perspective. We talked a lot about about the comics and uh how Howard the Duck became uh howard the duck you know how it became a movie and how it started as a comics and uh that nerdy little conversation definitely go back (laughs) and check out uh that episode uh but we're glad you're here for this episode as well and we're going to talk much more about the movie we will talk a little bit about the comics but we'll try not to uh retread anything we already covered on laramie's uh, episode so let's uh jump right in laramie when did you see howard the duck for the very first time Um, My usual answer as a kid on TV. (laughs) Now, did you see the TV version first or did you see video like the uh, VHS? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to bet I saw the TV version first um, because I know 
it was when I was much older that I learned about the things you see in the opening <laughs> scene. Right, right. I don't remember that. Yeah, I think on the TV version, there were bubbles that covered some scenes that you don't, that are, some bubbles are there that aren't there in the, uh, yeah, it's either that, it's either, it's either bubbles or they just like whitewash out the, yeah, yeah, like they yeah. pixelated or blurted out. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was reading something about the alternate versions of the movie, and one was like in the TV version, they had more bubbles to cover up. So I was like, <laughs> okay, well, they get creative, I guess. Just like, I guess, Disney Plus, when they first did put Splash on Disney Plus, they made uh, Daryl Hannah's hair extra long so you didn't see her bare backside when she ran into the ocean. So, uh, creative ways. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I did see Howard the Duck in the theater. I remember. Like, I don't, I can't remember the trailers for this as much, but I remember the advertising for it. And of course it being a George Lucas, you know, his name being attached. And I want to say in the trailers, they really didn't show Howard at all. They wanted to keep it somewhat of a mystery. um, So you didn't really know what he looked like unless you went to the theater and saw it. Um, So I think I was excited about that, but it was one of those Friday nights that my parents were like, we're going to, we're going to go to the movies as a family. What do you want to see? And I think it was up between this one and Nothing in Common, the comedy drama with Tom Hanks and uh, Jackie Gleason, I think who it was. And I think my parents really wanted to see Nothing in Common. And I was like, I don't want to watch a movie about an adult and his dad and them fighting about stuff. So I wanted to see Howard the Duck. So um, I think my parents squirmed in their seats a little bit in the first probably 10, 15 minutes of this movie. Oh, I'm uh, sure. And because I had to have been 85, I would have been, or 86. Yeah, I would have been like yes, 11. 86. I would have been 11. I had not turned 12 yet. So mm-hmm. that definitely preteen age that saw things in a new light uh, after seeing this movie. But so how long had it been since you watched it before rewatching it for the podcast? Um, Honestly, I want to say only a couple of years ago. Yeah. I think something just brought it up mm-hmm. one day and I was like, oh, you know, it's been a while since I've seen Howard the Duck. <laughs> and I just decided to come home and watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, uh, I want to watch Howard the Duck, which is a rare <laughs> a rare thing that I don't think many people have ever said. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So I think it was just a couple of years ago. Yeah. I don't think it's been that long for me either. I mean, it's been a while because there are parts when I rewatched it yes the other day where i was like man i don't remember this part at all and there's other parts that i remember pretty vividly so no it's one that i watched a lot and i want to say i think i remember seeing in the theater but i think when it came on tv i recorded the tv version so i probably saw the tv version more you know repeatedly than the theatrical version it's probably it's probably been closer to maybe 10 within 10 to 15 years for me I think when I watched okay. it and I think there's times where I like, I think I've started it and then not finished it where I remember seeing the beginning of it and then either kind of got bored in the middle or, you know, had other things to do and had to, you know, didn't get back to it. So unfortunately it's that kind of movie where it doesn't really hold, unless you really are determined to watch the whole thing. It's yeah. one of those, it's easy to kind of in the middle be like, yeah, I can finish this later. I'm not <laughs> that it's not holding my attention as well as I want it to. Yeah. So as soon as Jeffrey Jones enters the screen, you're just like, eh, and I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Like somewhere between there and the diner, I'm at, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I can take a break now. And now these messages. Hey, 80s flick lovers. Just want to take a few minutes and say thanks again for listening to the 80s flick flashback podcast. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We don't have any shout-outs to new subscribers this time, but if you'd like to support the podcast on a monthly basis through buymeacoffee.com, we do offer three tiers of support. We have Cult Classic for $5 a month, Be Kind, Please Rewind for $10 a month, and Box Office Blockbuster for $15 a month. You can even receive an 80s Flick Flashback t-shirt if you become a Box Office Blockbuster member. So don't miss out. You can also leave a one-time donation for $5 or more if you choose. Just go to our website, 80sflickflashback.com, or the link in the show notes for more details and how to start your subscription membership. We'll always offer free episodes. We'll never put any of our past seasons or episodes behind a paywall, but it does cost money to keep the podcast running. Since the creation of the podcast, I've personally paid monthly for the website, the Zoom account, 
various movie rentals and streaming subscriptions, marketing tools, and any other miscellaneous expenses that pop up from time to time. If you love the show, then please consider being one of our subscription members through buymeacoffee.com. Every little bit helps, and it's greatly appreciated. Hey, you can also support the show by buying an official logo t-shirt, sweatshirt, or sticker from our brand new online store. There are multiple styles and colors to choose from, so go check out the selection also on our website as well as the link in the show notes. Hey, if you love 80s pop music and movie soundtracks as much as I do, you can also find the 80s flick flashback movie songs mix playlist on Apple Music. It's full of hit songs like Footloose, Ghostbusters, and Purple Rain, as well as some deeper cuts from 80s flicks like Catch Me Now and Falling from Hiding Out, Rhythm of the Night from The Last Dragon, and Babysitting Blues from Adventures in Babysitting. This would have been my ultimate movie soundtrack mixtape growing up if I could have found a cassette tape to hold seven hours worth of songs. Thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate every one of you, and I'm amazed each week to watch the number of new listeners grow. It's because of you and your support that the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is still going strong. Let's keep the fun going. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, well, let's jump into the story origin and pre-production. Like I said, if you want to know more about the comic itself, definitely go back and listen to the moving panels episode. But uh, as far as the the movie goes, here's what information we have for you. So George Lucas, yeah, that guy that made all the Star Wars movies, he actually attended film school with Willard Hoyek and Gloria Katz, who uh, later co-wrote American Graffiti with Lucas. After that film's production concluded, Lucas told Hoyk and Katz about the comic book Howard the Duck, uh, which was primarily written by Steve Gerber, describing the series as being, quote unquote, very funny and praising its elements of film noir and absurdism. According to the documentary, a look back at Howard the Duck, Hoyk, Katz and Lucas began to seriously consider adapting Howard the Duck as a film and met with Gerber to discuss the project. Uh, Gerber's account differs slightly. He recalls that at the time he was approached to discuss the film, Lucas was not yet involved with the project. So, you know, which part of the internet do you want to believe? Yeah. Uh, The film was optioned by Universal Studios after a partnership with Marvel Comics. According to Marvin Antonowski, uh, Sidney Scheinberg lobbied very hard for Howard the Duck because the studio had passed on previous projects in which Lucas was involved. I'm sure were Star Wars projects, which had been very successful. Scheinberg denied any involvement in Howard the Duck, claiming he never read the screenplay. Hoyk and Katz strongly felt the film should be animated because Universal needed a film for a summer release and thinking that animating the film would take too long or cost too much. Lucas suggested the film could be produced in live action with special effects created by his ILM uh, division. Yep, because he needed money. He needed some money, yeah. Which is amazing to think that a man after doing, you know, a successful franchise like Star Wars would need money. But so Hoyk and Katz began to develop ideas. Howard being mysteriously transported from his home on Duck World to far off Earth on the other side of the universe was not what the filmmakers had originally intended. Hoyk recalls, we had written a whole different script. George's idea was not to have an origin story. He had Howard as a private eye in Hawaii and the audience would just have to accept that as a normal. But the studio said, no, you have to explain how he got here. In order to follow those instructions, the screenwriters begrudgingly started from scratch. Early on in production, it was decided that the personality of the character would be changed from that of the comics in which Howard was rude and obnoxious to make the character nicer. Gerber read over the script and offered his comments and suggestions. In addition, Hoyk and Katz met with Gerber to discuss a horror sequence with which they were having difficulty. Of course, that comes in the later part of the movie. Uh, During the screenwriting process, a stronger emphasis was placed on special effects rather than satire and story. Overall, the tone of the film is in diametric opposition to the comics, whereas Katz declared it's a film about a duck from outer space. It's not supposed to be an existential experience. We're supposed to have fun with the concept. For some reason, reviewers weren't able to get get over that problem. Gerber declared the comic book series was an existential joke, stating, this is no joke. There it is, the cosmic giggle, the funniest gag in the universe. Life's most serious moments and most incredibly dumb moments are often distinguishable only by a momentary point of view. Anyone who doesn't believe this probably can't enjoy reading Howard the Duck. So it seems like Gerber and the screenwriters had very different (laughs) perspectives on who Howard the Duck was and, you know, his point of view. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, after the shooting was finished, however, Gerber stated that he felt the film was faithful to both the spirit of the comic book and the characters of Howard eh. and Beverly. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was probably just trying to save face a little bit uh, with the movie. Uh, Hoyk and Katz wanted to incorporate both lighter, humorous elements and darker, suspenseful elements. Katz states that some readers were confused by the sexual elements of the screenplay as they were unsure as to whether the film was intended for adults or children. Hoyk and Katz wrote the ending, leaving the story open for a sequel, which was never produced. So, yeah, let's go back to that. Unsure as to whether the film was intended for adults or children. I think that's still a question that we can ask yeah. today after rewatching it, because there's very and I was actually shocked that this was not a PG-13 movie, that it was PG. Um, so P- PG-13 existed at this point, right? 86. Yeah, because what was the first PG-13 movie? Was it Red, Red Dawn? Dawn? And that was 86. So, so maybe it kind of fell in been, that. It could have been right before, like at the very tail end, of maybe a few months before. Ah, that's a good question. I have to go back and look at that timeline. Um, yeah, Red Dawn came out in August of '84. Oh yeah, so PG-13 was had been around already. Yeah. So. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, I don't know why this didn't get a PG thirteen rating. But you know, you're still early in the PG thirteen, so I mean, yeah, they probably... still haven't really s- settled on the the rules. Right, right. So Howard the Duck director William Hoyk wasn't a novice; he was the co writer and was the director as well. He had previously directed A Messiah of Evil, French Postcards, and Best Defense. Uh, I know one of those movies, unfortunately, Best Defense is the box office bomb with uh dudley moore and eddie murphy oh never heard of it yeah um yeah there's a good reason why (laughs) it's pretty (laughs) terrible uh he hadn't taken the helm on quite so large a film before however originally george lucas had offered the director's chair to someone rather more seasoned john landis uh who had made the blues brothers american werewolf in london and trading places uh, Landis had a full plate, however. He had directed three films in 85 and 86. He passed on Lucas's offer, which led the producer to give Hoyt the reins. Lucas later remarked that Landis turning down Howard the Duck was, quote-unquote, my greatest regret in my career. He believed Landis would have made the film far more successful. Mm. Mm. There's only so much you can do with the writing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't, yeah. But wasn't yeah. there... I, I I think I read, wasn't there also something to do with because of the big police chase at the end? Yeah, I read that too, but I felt like I had read that somewhere else that Landis had turned down a, another movie because of the car chase scene. And like, like I've seen the, 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 the scene at the end of Blues Brothers. That's like huge. Yeah. I don't think it was that, that big of a thing in Howard the Duck. Yeah. And even yeah. if it was, he could have totally changed that. It wasn't it wasn't the same as far as plot-wise and story-wise as it was in Blues Brothers. You know what I'm saying? The movie had a little bumps along the way. And you have to think, if they th- started thinking of this in American Graffiti, which was late, that was mid-70s, because American Graffiti was before Star Wars. So it took them at least 10 years to get this made at this point. Oh yeah. From when they were to began talking about it. So um, yeah, not every labor of love is <laughs> as well received as others, I guess you'd yeah. say. So, and I mean, as we know from George Lucas, George Lucas probably holds on to stuff a little bit longer than he should. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. All right, let's jump into casting and Laramie discussed some of this as well on his podcast. So, Excuse me. We've got Ed Gale as Howard the Duck. He's the performer of the performers in the suit. Uh, his debut was as the t- title role of Howard. While Chip Zane provided Howard's voice, Gale was the actor in the suit throughout the film. He also played Chucky in the horror film Child's Play in 88. He went on to appear in two other films in the franchise. So Hoyk and Katz actually held casting calls with uh, dwarf actors, eventually casting child actor Jordan Pretense and hiring Ed Gale, who had been rejected because he was too tall for the role, to perform <laughs> stunts and play the role during evening shoots. Pretense found the shooting conditions to be too difficult to handle, and the film's editors were unable to match day and evening sequences because of the difference in the two portrayals. 
because Gail had served as the understudy, he took over the role. So it seems like Jordan, the child actor, really wasn't in as many of the scenes as Ed in the when it all panned out at the end. So, and of course, they used uh, animatronics for the facial expressions, which, especially towards the end of the movie, which I know went over budget. The shoot went longer than they intended, which I think was a lot because of the animatronics. Some of the ones at the end, you can tell are not as clean as can kind of the beginning uh, of the movie. So apparently they shot several times trying to get his like mouth and mm-hmm. head to look right. And so they even, from what I've, I've learned in some of the featurettes was they went back and they were reshooting some of the shots of Howard to use a different, you know, different animatronic or a Mm -hmm. different expression suit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of the, uh, like his shocked look, especially there at the, especially the scenes at the end, you can tell it's a different uh, headpiece that doesn't match the other shots uh, of him, which, you know, kind of nitpicking there, but is it was definitely more noticeable now watching it again than uh, seeing it when I was younger. So uh, well, it's just like the scene where the cops strip him down. Yeah. I mean, Oh yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's like, he's all of a sudden a lot skinnier <laughs> yeah. than yeah. He, he clearly was. And you can clearly tell that's more of a puppet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, than, than before. So and I think I read something too, where I think Lucas originally wanted him to be completely CGI. And of course, this is way before CGI is what it is today. And I said, after a couple of tests, they they realized that wasn't going to work. So then they decided to do the puppet animatronic route. So special effects weren't ready for his vision at that point. So, yeah. so, so it was going to be like a who framed Roger Rabbit type thing. No, I think CGI, like what we see as the Dark Overlord at the end, like it would have been that type of CGI. Ooh, yeah, that would have been yeah. bad. Yeah, almost like a stop. It's almost like stop motion. C- yeah. CGI was more like stop motion kind of capture. I'm thinking about, you know, special effects like RoboCop, which came out a year later, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, that would have been bad. Yeah. So then we got Chip Zane as the voice of Howard. He's best known for playing the lead role of the Baker in the original Broadway production of Into the Woods by Stephen Sondheim. He has appeared in all of the Marvin trilogy musicals by William Finn in Trousers, March of the Falsettos, Falsetto Land, and Falsettos. He played Monsieur, I'm messing up, Thinadier, Thinadar in Broadway production of Les Mis. Uh, so he's he's definitely been around acting wise. So yeah. um, Hoyk and Katz auditioned a number of actors, including John Cusack. Martin Short and Robin Williams for Howard's voice in July of 2021 uh, Chip Zine revealed in an interview with the Hollywood reporter that Robin Williams was originally actually cast for the role but Williams quit after only a week out of frustration over sinking his voice to the Ducks animatronic bill an actor to voice Howard had not been cast yet during filming so all of Howard's lines were read on set by the puppeteers and the bill moved to fit their bland delivery that made it impossible for Williams to use his wild impro- improvisational style in post-production because it didn't work with the Bill's movements. The producers immediately called Zane, who had previously auditioned, and told him he had the part but needed to fly to California that night. And I think I read an interview with him where he was like, his agent was like, hey, they think that you can sound kind of like a duck, so they want you, <laughs> they want you to, to, to play the part. And so, uh, once again, because Lucas's name was attached he canceled any other plans he had to go and do the voice, which let's talk about the voice. Are you a fan of his, the voice of Howard the duck? I mean, I I don't, I'm not against it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it would have, I don't think, I think it's best that it's a voice you don't recognize. That's true. I agree with that too. So had it been Martin short or Robin Williams. Okay. Yeah, sure. It could have been funnier. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't think it would have worked. I mean, yes, Robin Williams iconically is the genie yeah, from Aladdin. Yeah, right. But like you just said, the way they did the genie was they had Robin record first, mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. they animated right, the genie. Right. Uh, whereas this, yeah, this would have been the other way around. They would have had to sync him with the, mm-hmm. the mouth moving. 
which yeah, Robin can't do. Which uh, makes me think, I wonder if that experience became the, in, the introduction to Mrs. Doubtfire where, you know, he's in the recording booth and they're, you know, he's doing the voice over acting of the, of the animation and he can't, he's doing more than what's animated and he ends up quitting. So yeah. I was like, I think that's interesting if that's, you know, he was like, Hey, what if we did this? This happened to me. Could we put this in the movie? And, and, uh, kind of interesting thought. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I, I see the same thing with Martin short. I, yeah. I just think he's, I think both of them are too animated. Mm-hmm. Um, even in their voice. Yeah. Uh, for it to have worked. I, I think chip zines fine. Yeah. Uh, I think there does need to be in in Howard. There does need to be a little bit of a a dry tone. Yeah, yeah. To Howard, because <clears throat> uh, because he's always is you know especially in the comics, he always is so cynical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, no, I, I have nothing yeah. against Chip's voice. Yeah. I'm with you. I think I'm. I definitely couldn't see Robin Williams for that. Martin Short, I think because he, he's done other voices where it's like you know it, it does kind of sound like martin short but he can he can do voices that are different you know what i'm saying and even he can be kind of dry as well so he would have been an interesting choice but i i agree i i like zane as the voice i mean it's definitely howard you know that's the voice that i know but could you have imagined they, them keeping it animated especially i mean we're talking the 80s here mm-hmm. so especially if it had like that don bluth animation <laughs> it would have been interesting for sure yeah i'm really kind of curious what the animation would have looked like now you know this is four years before or three years before who framed roger rabbit but to then think what if howard was animated mm-hmm. but the rest of the movie was live action and then how that would have worked would have been an interesting concept too, maybe. Yeah. So again, this kind of, we talked about this in my episode, I think though, maybe going the animation route again, if the whole thing was animated, maybe mm-hmm. but going the Roger rabbit route mm-hmm. is I'm worried it would take away from what Steve Gerber's idea yeah. of the yeah. character was. Yeah. And is yeah. that he, he was, flesh and blood he mm-hmm. was a being that is part of our world mm-hmm. um he's not a cartoon you know, right, he, right he is a you know walking talking duck uh and so i, I yeah i kind of wonder if that would have would have taken away from it mm-hmm. a little bit that's true good point good point all right so next we got of course leah thompson as beverly switzler of course, she is best known for her role as Lorraine Baines McFly in Back to the Future film trilogy. Other films for which she's known include All the Right Moves from 83, Red Dawn 84, Some Kind of Wonderful in 87, Dennis the Menace in 93, and the Beverly Hillbillies also in 93. Of course, she was the title character in NBC sitcom Caroline in the City in the 90s. And she also uh, was on an ABC family turned freeform series switched at birth in 2017. So we talked a little bit about Leah Thompson on your episode as well, um, which I think it's interesting that let's just, you know, talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to this movie. She took two very interesting roles, whereas Lorraine is a mom who's infatuated with her son <laughs> who traveled in time to a rock singer who is flirting very heavily with a duck. Yeah. In this movie, interesting choices she was making in the mid eighties. Yeah, I, I will say I'm right now. My brain is because I was like, I totally forgot she was Dennis's mom and <laughs> Dennis the Menace. Dennis the Menace. <laughs> so, so that was kind of throwing me. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And going back to talking about the casting of Howard, uh, if Howard was a twelve year old boy, <laughs> and she's having to flirt with a twelve year old boy. It's in a, a duck suit yeah yeah a little awkward yeah which i think she said for that scene she was very adamant about not having uh the child actor in the suit yeah. for those scenes so rightfully <laughs> yeah. gotta rightfully be so. gotta be ed we need yeah. ed <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's see after auditioning a number of actresses singers and models for the role of beverly uh thompson was cast of course because of back to the future i love this leah actually 
did the singing for all of the songs of her character's band, Cherry yeah. Bomb, as did the other actresses in the group. On the 2009 DVD, she states that even during filming, the studio had not made a final decision as to whether to keep her singing voice or dub her with someone else's voice. I just hope they would have told her. Like, yeah. I, I hate those stories where you find out that they didn't know that they weren't going to use their actual voice until mm-hmm. after yeah. the movie. Yeah. But I thought she did good. I thought she had a you know decent yeah. singing voice and she did well in those scenes for sure. So she, for her audition, she actually purchased clothing from thrift stores because she wanted to appear as a cross between Madonna and Cindy Lauper, which I can definitely see that in her book. She stated that she regrets not wearing a wig, however, as her hairstyle took two hours a day to prepare and actually did some damage to her hair in the process. Um, I'm sure all the product they had to put in it to get it to just (laughs) look like she had stuck her finger in a light socket. She has confirmed on Twitter that she still has the Les Paul guitar and she still plays it from time to time. So I thought that was very nice. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. Moving right along, Mr. Tim Robbins. I'm sorry. Academy Award winner, Tim Robbins, <laughs> as Phil Philzy Blum, Blumbert. Of course, he's known for portraying Andy Dufresne in the film Shawshank Redemption in 94. Yes. And has won an Academy Award and two Golden Globe Awards for his roles in the films The Player in 92 and Mystic River in 2003. Of course, his other roles uh, include Merlin in Top Gun, which also came out in 86. Uh, Nucleus in Bull Durham in 88. We've covered both of those movies already on the podcast. He was also an IQ in 94, Nothing to Lose in 97. And he was Senator Robert Hammond and Green Lantern in 2011, if you yep. forgot about that one. Although he had <laughs> a lot of people do want to forget about that Green Lantern movie. <laughs> I had to put that one on there just, just for you, Laramie. Yeah. Uh, although Tim Robbins had no prior film experience, Hoyk and Katz were confident that he was right for the part. He has said in a later interview that he doesn't look back negatively at the film as he quote unquote got this big job that was paying a really decent salary and it was for George Lucas. So it was a huge deal at the time. So once again, Lucas drew some, got, got people involved. So are you a fan of Tim Robbins in this movie? Uh, Ooh, that's a good question. (laughs) Because if you had just said, (laughs) are you a fan of Tim Robbins? The answer is yes. Yes. Am I a fan of Tim Robbins in this movie? I don't know. He gets very irritating. Yes, he does. In this movie. Uh, there's a lot of times where you're just like, shut up. <laughs> I just I just need you to shut up. Right, right. So, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Tim Robbins in this movie, but I don't um, I don't think negatively on him. I mean, he he did his thing. Yeah, yeah. He's going after that check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting to see him in this role, knowing the movies he's done since then. Nuke Lelouch and Bull Durham, of course, he's kind of zany in that one as well. Uh, but a little bit more subtle is not the right word. More tempered. He's a little bit more tempered in Bull Durham. So this yeah. one, he's just full on zany uh, in this one. Definitely. And then, of course, Jeffrey Jones is Dr. Walter Jennings uh, and the transforming into the Doc Overlord. Uh, best known for his roles as Emperor Joseph II and Amadeus in 84. Of course, Principal Edward R. Rooney in Ferris Bueller's Day Off in 86. He was also in Beetlejuice in 88, The Hunt for Red October in 90, The Devil's Advocate in 97. He was also on the HBO show Deadwood from 2004 to 2006. Uh, he has had many roles which capitalized on his deadpan portrayal of characters in unusual situations, often to comic effect. He was basically cast for this movie because of his performance in Amadeus. So that's one I have to go back and rewatch because I have not seen that one in a long time. I think I watched it in band class. Uh, I had to, I had to watch it for, (laughs) I had to watch it in, uh, for one of my, uh, college music classes. It was one of our required watches that we went to the, our school library and watched the, uh, I think it was a VHS that we had to watch back then. So before they, is that one that could fit on a single VHS or was that a, was that I a think double that VHS? was a double. I think it was. A I double thought it, VHS. I thought it was too. Yeah. <clears throat> one of the, let's see the ones offhand. I know were double VHS dances with wolves, Titanic and Braveheart. And of course, gone with the wind. I think gone with the wind was the first double 
yeah. VHS I ever saw. It was a double DVD too. I actually, oh yeah, I had one of the first, yeah, on DVD, and it was a double DVD. Uh, Pearl Harbor, yes, was a, a double, double DVD. VHS. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I know that one was DVD because I had, I still have the DVD of Pearl Harbor, and it's a double disc DVD okay. for Pearl yeah. Harbor. So. I, I think I got it on VHS because it was right before yeah, I got a DVD it, player. Yeah, I was probably was one right. of those last. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember having the Braveheart double, double VHS. So David Paymer is in this movie as Larry. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, he's, we we talked about on my episode. There's a lot of just people that yeah. just pop up. He's a definitely a that guy. Maybe not know the name, but you definitely know the face. He's been in Mr. Saturday Night Quiz Show. Searching for Bobby Fisher, City Slickers, Crazy People, State and Maine, Payback, Get Shorty, Carpool, The American President, The Hurricane, Ocean's 13, and Drag Me to Hell, just to name a few. We talked fondly about Paul Gil- Gilfoyle. Gilfoyle? How do you say it? Sure. Close enough. As <laughs> Lieutenant Welker. Uh, he appeared in Three Men, as a, Three Men and a Baby, uh, which I remember that as well. And he has he's most best known for his role as uh, Las Vegas Police Department Captain James Jim Brass, Brass in the CBS police drama CSI Crime Scene Investigation, which performed since the so the show's inception in the year two thousand. So in the year two thousand, <laughs> yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking of when I said that. Good old Conan O'Brien, because you and I talked about. There's really only four characters in this movie. It's yeah. Howard, Beverly, Phil, and Dr. Jennings. Yeah. So the girls of Cherry Bomb, I thought were worth mentioning. You've got Liz Seagal as Ronette. And this is the only reason I wanted to bring her up. She's actually part of a family of entertainment industry professionals. She is the daughter of director Boris Seagal and the stepdaughter of Marge Champion. In addition to her twin sister, Jean Seagal, two of her other siblings, older sister, Katie Seagal, as you would yep. know as Peg Bundy, Peg Bundy. And brother Joey Seagal are notable in the industry, and her older brother David Seagal is an ator- attorney married to actress McNally Seagal. Lots of Seagals in that sentence. <laughs> Liz and her twin sister Jean served for a time as the Doublemint twins in the ad campaign for Doublemint uh-huh. Gum. The pair also appeared together as cheerleaders in the 1982 movie Grease 2. We got to talk about Grease 2 on an 80s podcast. Uh, they also starred in the television series Double Trouble that ran from 84 to 85. Uh, she since appeared on such shows as Knott's Landing and Picket Fences. So uh, well, there you go. She was Ronette. And then yeah. Dominique Davalos as Cal. She was the bass player in the band. She was formerly in the band called Dominatrix, whose controversial music video single, The Dominatrix Sleeps Tonight, released in 84, was deemed too racy for its time. The song's video featured a fur and stocking-clad Dominique. Commercial radio stations banned the single, and MTV refused to air the risque video. They'd probably have no problem doing it now. (laughs) Right, right. Things you didn't know before you listened to this podcast. You're welcome. Yeah, there you go. And then the one you'd recognize the most, Miss Holly Robinson, now Miss Holly Robinson Pete as KC, the guitar player. Uh, she is known for her roles as Judy Hoffs in the Fox police drama 21 Jump Street. She was also Vanessa on the ABC sitcom Hanging with Mr. Cooper and Dr. Yeah. Melina Ellis on the NBC and WB sitcom For Your Love. This was her feature film debut. And, of course, she's an accomplished singer because I forgot the the last name is Dolby, who wrote the songs for the soundtrack that he specifically cast the band members of cherry bomb because he wanted real musicians in the band but wait is she really playing the guitar she probably is but did you know that she also sang the theme song for 21 jump street i did not yeah i didn't know she was a singer because i do remember she did a couple like yeah she did a couple of uh like some of her other shows she did the uh the theme song but she did it with other people but I like when I read that, I was like, oh, I think I remember that when I used to watch it, that I, that I remember finding, you know, realizing like into season three that she was the one that sang her theme song. So, yeah. But yeah, no, the music, music was Thomas Dolby. Thomas Dolby, uh, that was it. Yeah. You know, the, the <clears throat> yeah, she blinded me with science. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say, I was, I liked the music in this movie. I, as a kid, I always wanted the soundtrack for the songs. 
I don't know. Have you actually looked at the lyrics of the Howard the Duck song? <laughs> Not recently, no. Just the the uh, the kind of, I guess, chorus. We call him Howard the Duck. No way to conceal it. With a feather's touch, I love him apart. <laughs> we call him Howard the Duck. If it ain't funk, you don't feel it. Mm-hmm. And he shot an arrow straight to my heart. Okay. Well, that song was co-written with George Clinton. So uh, it makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> the funk part anyway. But yeah, you keep keep reading through it. There's there's that that song makes no sense. <laughs> there's a lot of songs from the 80s that don't make sense. So it's all good. But if you want to hear the song, you can find it on the 80s flick flashback podcast or the 80s flick flashback. 80s songs mix on apple music the playlist so i did That's find it extremely long title tim it is <laughs> and it's an extremely long playlist it's about i think it's up to like almost nine hours worth of songs now so i keep wow. remembering songs to add so i think i added yeah. a couple from howard the duck this week so all right anybody else in the cast i know there was one that i forgot that that you wanted to mention the uh employment office worker yeah yeah, I don't know the actress's name, but I, <laughs> I didn't look it up. As soon as I saw her, I was like, "Hey, it's uh, um, Uncle Phil's mom." Like from I just Fresh remembered Prince. her from Fresh Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is one of the wildest scenes in the movie for sure. Uh, him at the employment office. Yeah, because the, even though when she goes to get the retrieve the job information, yes, yes. like and they do the <laughs> little shop of horrors bit. Yes, I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm like that. Was that a thing in like the mid '80s where you just wanted to bite someone on the backside? Was that just yeah, totally acceptable? Weird. This is weird. Aliens in plant form or ducks from another reality? There ain't no way. That was just <laughs> that was just weird. And now these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century. And in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. (sighs) What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Yeah, so we talked about this on your episode, Laramie, but let's let's talk about the movie as a whole briefly before we jump into like favorite scenes and iconic scenes. Okay. Much like we just discussed in December, 
of last year with Santa Claus, the movie, this feels like two separate movies that kind of got mixed together or put together. Like the first half of the movie is this funny, zany, duck out of water, pardon my pun, kind of a story with him meeting Beverly and he wants to get back home and trying to understand this, this, you know, what earth is and Cleveland. Um, (laughs) And then once you get into the whole Dr. Jennings turning into the dark overlord, it becomes this more sci-fi kind of horror esque kind of a movie that doesn't seem to match the same as the first half. So looking at it that way, much like Santa Claus, the movie is why it did not do as well at the box office as they were hoping because it didn't really know what movie it wanted to be. I will say the writing in Santa Claus, the movie is a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. As soon as they introduced the whole dark overlord and uh, Jennings being possessed and all that, it feels like not only does it take a shift tonally, Mm-hmm. But it feels at that point they were like, okay, we got to f- now fill mm-hmm. time yeah. in this movie with stuff. Mm-hmm. So they, they get the cops involved. Mm-hmm. They get, you know, so at least the whole chase, which doesn't make a lot of sense. They do this ridiculously long scene in the cafe. The diner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just feels like, oh, you know, you could have even with that element. It feels mm-hmm. like this movie should have been another 30 minutes shorter. <laughs> right, right. And then maybe you explain this. Why was Beverly kidnapped? Like they're traveling with Jennings. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he ha- she has to be tied up at some point. So he loosely explains it, but it still seems like a plot hole to me. Yeah. That when the other dark overlords show up, which makes me question, how can there be more than one dark overlord? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But when they show up, they need a host body. Right. Right. And so that's what he was kidnapping Beverly for was to be the host of the host bodies. Um, But that didn't make any sense because he later is fine being out of Jennings body. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we see them coming, they're already in that form <laughs> yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah. But that didn't make a lot of sense. What also doesn't make a lot of sense is the countdown where it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, saying, you know, the alien arrival in, you know, one minute. Yeah. And then it gets to the, you know, you know, Howard's getting ready to shoot it and destroy the machine. It, it finishes the countdown. <laughs> but they haven't made it there yet. But they hadn't made it. Right. And then when he shoots it, they get sucked, I guess, sucked back into the. Yeah, which I I was like, I would think that if they were in that little portal, they're in our atmosphere at that yeah. point. If the they would have just fallen to earth. Just fall to earth. That's exactly yeah. I was like, the, if the, the beam gets taken out, wouldn't they just. Yeah. So, yeah, it, we, we talked about that. There's there's a lot of things that don't make sense. There's a lot of choices that were made that you're like, Why? why did you do that so yeah um well so once you're there what so any or any of those why did they do that become an iconic scene for you or what do you consider an iconic scene of howard the duck honestly the opening like when he mm-hmm. gets when he's ripping through all of the different apartments in yeah his uh recliner, recliner I mean, yeah that's one and i i hate to say it but the quote-unquote love scene yeah between yeah. the two of them uh, I think that's I think those are two scenes that anyone who's seen anything dealing with this movie, mm-hmm. they remember those two scenes. Howard is not from another world. He's not from another planet. He's from yeah. another reality. Yeah. And the comics, he's the quote unquote duck world. Yes. It, I mean, it's like Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. almost like it is just another version, version of, of Earth, Earth. Right. just one in which, uh, you know, Ducks became the primary yeah. uh, inhabitant of. Right. So like that whole opening sequence with the, of course you get the two moons, which of course that, you know, Hey, it's George Lucas. Cause he just did this with, you know, star Wars yeah. and Tatooine, the movie posters and all of that. 
that they showed, which I thought was, you know, really fun. And then, of course, you go back to that one. Beverly goes through his wallet and you see the dollar bill and his credit cards. And uh, and not to be crass, the loose condom. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. couldn't they have put it in a package and came up with some punny thing yeah. title to put on it? Or, yeah. or, or just had it in a clear package? The fact that it's loose. <laughs> I mean, is that how they came packaged in the eighties? They just, they weren't, you know, they weren't in their own individual, uh, individual slots. I specifically, I don't know. Wrote, I was five. Yeah. When like, this movie came but out. look, I will, I will say I can specifically remember that scene, even watch, even after seeing it in the theater, I didn't ask my parents, like, what is that? I, you know, but I remember trying not understanding what that was. Like I had no clue what that was until I was much older. Yeah. Uh, and then when I was sure I had the same questions, like, do they, you know, are they, do they come just open like that? Um, anyway. But again, it goes to who is this movie made for? Right. Right. It wasn't made for an 11 year old. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are parts that, you know, were fun for me as an 11 year old, which goes to another scene. We talked about the, the, the police chase in the, flying bicycle you know little airplane kind of thing like watching that again i'm like this is definitely for the kids like this is a you know you know chase action goofy lots of little one-liners that you know the two big you know phil and howard bickering back and forth while they're trying to escape um that seemed very much like oh we got to put this in for the kids once again another movie kind of seemed like made by committee at a certain point where the studio's involvement kind of took it in directions or, or put things in it that didn't really need to be there. So now is there another something makes me think there was another movie that had a similar thing. You know what I think I think I'm, I, you know what I actually <laughs> think I'm thinking of what follow, follow that bird. <laughs> uh, the Sesame street movie. I can't, say because that I actually remember what that I mean I'm I don't remember that I mean I remember the movie but I don't remember that much about the movie to know because there's two of the characters that I think get into like a biplane okay and yeah I forgot which characters it was though very yeah. possible there's just there was some things in this movie um in which I'm going that's that's in another movie mm-hmm. like like you've y'all have used that or stole that or oh, yeah it's like just I, a like isn't when when Howard cuts the tentacle piece of the Dark Overlord and you see it's like, you know, the the blood squirting out of it. I'm like, didn't we see that in Aliens? Like, wasn't that like a shot for shot an Aliens reference? Yeah, like cutting off the little thing that yeah. comes out. Yeah. Well, and then also when the Dark Lord, whatever he does to um, Beverly and Phil, where yeah. they're like, I'm like, okay. Y'all did that a little bit better, but that's the exact same thing that happens to Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters. That yes, yeah, that, yeah. I, I, and I I remember saying like I've seen this somewhere else, but I couldn't place what it was. But yeah, that's definitely Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Once again, movie made by committee. Like we should have this, and this worked in this movie. Uh-huh. So do this. Uh, when will studios learn? Just don't don't do that. Uh. <laughs> So those are iconic scenes. I think I was going to mention something else and I can't remember what it was now. All right. Well, what about favorite scenes? Do you have any favorite scenes from Howard the Duck? Um, I will say, and it's kind of more nostalgia, like mm-hmm. the the final, the concert. Yeah, it's, it's just, fun. Yeah, it's a Still fun, fun little thing. Um, and I like how Phil's, uh, you know, science background automatically made him like the stage manager lights, yeah. you know <laughs> lights guy and then the fact that he's not actually very good at it right uh, right screws it up uh yeah i don't know if i really have a favorite scene now you talked about the diner scene being too yeah. long i like the diner scene like that's a it's that was funny to me i don't like the idea of the the cafe scene the diner scene I just think it take they're they're in there too long. Yeah, yeah, it is a long sequence. But so the restaurant's called Roma's Cajun Sushi. That means it's Italian, Louisiana, and Japanese, three completely different cuisines in one. But the cook in the restaurant is wearing an Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom T-shirt. 
uh, ah. which of course was written by Willard Hoyk and Gloria Katz. Yeah, I think if they had played more on that, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know they do where when they capture, well, capture, but when they get <laughs> Howard, you know, the chef wants to cut his head off. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe if they had played a little bit more on that, like the egg thing I get was funny. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, Howard, but there are other, I mean, mm-hmm. there are other things that lay eggs. You're saying you don't <laughs> eat any eggs. Right. I think if it had been like a, the special had been like a duck a l'orange. Right, right. Or, that would have been, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I get that you wouldn't have gotten the visual as much. Like you would have, mm-hmm. that would have been more in having to say. Uh, unless they unless they pulled a Christmas story and they just bring out a whole duck <laughs> on a platter. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. I did like his confrontation with, is it Ginger, the original manager? Yeah. Where he takes the ice pick and gets clips the earring. Yeah. You know, that is a good one. I remember that as a kid. That's like, a good oh one. my gosh, that's so, that's so, you know, crazy cool, I guess would have been the word we used back then. So. <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that was a good one. I, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that one as well. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. Glad we agree on something. No, uh, <laughs> So just a few trivia notes as we start to wrap this one up. So we kind of alluded to this earlier. According to reports at the time of the movie's release, George Lucas had just built the $50 million Skywalker Ranch complex and was counting on this film to get him back in the black. When it bombed, he was forced to start selling off assets to stay afloat. His friend Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple Computer, offered to help by buying Lucasfilm's newly launched CGI animation division for a price well above market value. Lucas in dire straits and thankful for the assistance agreed that division eventually became Pixar animation studios, which I think is pretty well known at this point. So, um, (laughs) so of course, William Hoyk, we talked about co-writer and director best defense, as we mentioned before, was also a box office flop because of those two movies being box office flops uh, that killed off his directing career for good. He's never made another film after Howard the Duck. Whew. That's rough. Yeah. That's rough. <laughs> but, I mean, we talked about on my show how, I mean, Leah Thompson's career didn't really. Yeah. Yeah. Go where I think it was headed. Right. Uh, right. Before this movie. So. Yeah. It definitely hurt. Hurt some people. I read, I didn't put it in my notes, but I read like other actresses or people that auditioned for roles that were like really hoping to get it. And then once they saw the movie, they're like, oh, I'm glad I didn't get it. <laughs> glad I avoid that one. <laughs> right, right. All right, box office and critical reception. Howard the Duck was released in American theaters on August 1st, 1986. It came in third place at the box office for the weekend. Another new release, Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives took the yeah. number two spot with Aliens holding on to number one in its second week. A Probably film. one of my favorite Friday the 13th. <laughs> number, number six. Yeah. Uh, the film grossed $16 million in the United States and $21 million worldwide for a total of just under $38 million. Uh, and the film estimated budget was between $35 and $36 million. Uh, when the film was screened for Universal, Cat said the studio executives left without commenting on the film. Screenings for test audiences were met with mixed response. And rumors circulated that Universal production heads Frank Price and Sidney Scheinberg engaged in a fistfight after arguing over who was to blame for greenlighting the film. Both huh. executives have denied the have denied the rumors. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it it only because of the worldwide box office did it make its money back. But that's just the production cost. That's not taking into account advertising things of that nature. But I do know that when they released it internationally, they changed the title to Howard, a new breed of hero or a new kind of hero. And none of the posters or any of the advertising let anyone know that it was about a duck because they felt like that was the problem with the film was that it was a duck in the lead. How upset are those viewers? (laughs) Right. And I even saw like, and I'll, I'll try to post it on social media too after the episode drops. But I saw one of the international posters, and it literally is the scene of uh, Beverly and Phil in their little freezing Ghostbusters stance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the back, 
like the background, like the Darth Vader background is uh, Jennings becoming, you know, the dark overlord. And then it's the back silhouette of Howard in the bottom right corner, but you can't tell. It's just a back silhouette. So you don't yeah. see the bill or anything to like, like what he's like, he's seeing this and he's going to be the hero or whatever. It's like, wow, they really tried really hard to not show what this movie is. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think I've seen that. I think I saw that poster when I was you looking did. up stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that's what it was, but <laughs> dang, I, I think I would be more upset if, well, and, you know, and now we've got the new law that uh, movie studios can be, um, can be sued. For, oh yeah. For, for false yeah, advertising. False yeah. advertising. Wow. All right. So critical reception. Oh man, this is bad. Rotten Tomatoes, sure. 14% on the tomato meter with a 38% audience score. IMDb has it at 4.7 out of 10 with viewers and a 28 on Metacritic. So Ooh. I don't think it's that bad. It's not yeah, a great movie. It's not good. But it's not 14%. No. Uh, it's not even uh, a 38. Yeah, I'm thinking 50s maybe yeah i'm a little higher i'm like upper 60s once again but i think that's just i think that's pure nostalgia for me probably Um, because it is there's parts of it that that is rewatchable you know like i said for just just for my favorite the favorite scenes like the opening sequence really like the first 20 25 minutes of the movie i like there's still some weird stuff in there that doesn't make sense, but I like that part. Once it gets into Jennings, it gets kind of off kilter. Um, but yeah, not much over 50, but yeah, I, that's still a little low for me. Yeah. That goes by rewatchability. So but, I agree. But from your, your episode, we know that I have a little bit more love for this movie than you do, I guess. <laughs> I don't dislike the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining Laramie. So what's going on with moving panels for 2023? What you got coming up? Uh, Of course, if you haven't heard the Howard the Duck episode, go back Mm -hmm. and listen to the Howard the Duck episode. Um, Bethany and I in February are going to do our Valentine episode. Mm -hmm. And we're actually going to talk about Marry Me. Oh, uh, yeah. Came out, came out Valentine's of uh, last year of 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to make it an episode. Um, and then in March, we're going to get into Ghost Rider and right, talk right. about Ghost Rider. And of course, April, I've actually got planned to do, um, Morbius with you yeah. in, in April. Uh, More so bad that, movies. All right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, and then when we get into May and June, I'm kind of using all of that because I am celebrating the, uh, 30th anniversary of the death and return of Superman mm-hmm. storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll be spending a, almost two and a half months, uh, May, June, it'll even bleed into July, uh, talking about all that. And of course we've got other things, um, throughout, you know, uh, some green lantern stuff is going to be coming up pretty soon. Um, I'm even probably going to be reviewing the first season of Wednesday. Uh, for oh, those of you who nice. didn't know, those of you who didn't know, Adam's family was a comic. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, so we'll be hitting that. Yeah, I still got to watch Wednesday. My my daughter has watched all. She watched all that. She binged it like in a couple of days, and uh, and and my friend Ron watched it already. So, it's on my list now to to watch. So, <laughs> looking forward to that one. So, so yeah. So we got some good things coming up uh, this year as well. Uh, the only thing I'm just sort of kind of tease you about right now is this summer we're going to do a summer of sequels. So all of our episodes in June. July and August will be sequel episodes from other episodes we've done already done. So Larry will be back for Ghostbusters two because we did Ghostbusters one uh, previous season. So we're going to hit that one and uh, some other good uh, favorite sequels. Um, so summer of sequels uh, this year on eighties flick flashback podcast. So I'm excited about that. And I got some other cool stuff that I'm still working on. I don't haven't got finalized yet. So once I get this stuff finalized, hopefully April is going to be a fun month with some cool surprises. So stay tuned for that. So, but uh, thanks again for listening. Be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Uh, do the same for moving panels, 
Laramie's podcast and of course all of our other friends uh that are that you'll hear our ads on episodes so uh totally rad christmas pop culture roulette manly movies retro life for you and uh i still don't have an ad for james's podcast uh interview with a horror virgin but uh he's part of the movie views podcasting networks so definitely if you're a horror fan you definitely need to give his show a listen because it's a good one so uh, of course, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who loves 80s flicks. And uh, don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all that fun stuff. Uh, you can also be a supporter of the podcast. There's information on how to do that at the link in the show notes. So, well, thanks again, Laramie, for being a part. Always a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. Looking forward to more episodes in the future. It was a great ducking time. <laughs> Oh, man. We said we weren't going to do duck puns, but had to to at least get one of them in there. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. They call him Howard the Duck. Yeah. Yeah. No way to conceal it. Put him in a giant trash bag and poke holes in it. <laughs> that's how you conceal it. That's how you conceal it. I mean, that's is what she tries. <laughs> now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. Hey everybody, do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about the days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life For You. And here at Retro Life For You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro, and we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you... Make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go!